Market Journal, television for agricultural business decisions, is a presentation of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Partial funding is provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board. Well, thanks so much for joining us here on another episode of Market Journal. I'm Bryce Duskett. The Blue Jackets have descended on Lincoln, Nebraska. We join you today from inside Pinnacle Bank Arena as we take in some of the sights and sounds of the 95th Nebraska FFA State Convention. Now, coming up on today's show, we'll discuss rising land values with Nebraska Extension economist Jim Jansen. Darren Fessler will join us to discuss the markets, and we'll also get a look at how some of our Midwest commodities are turned into value-added products. That is all coming up, but first, we kick this week's show off with an overview of this year's state convention. From Kimball to Nebraska City, more than 7,000 members and guests came to the capital city this week to compete in a variety of ag and leadership-focused contests. A lot is on the line as the top-placing individuals and teams will get the chance to compete at the National FFA Convention. This year's state officer team has been working quite diligently to assemble the details for this year's convention. To learn more, we had the chance to catch up with Nebraska FFA State Vice President, Dustin Andreessen. Well, tell us about the role of a Nebraska FFA State Officer here at the convention. Obviously, we have the stage behind us. Yep, absolutely. So a year ago, um, a year ago, I was a senior in high school and I decided that I wanted to run to be an FFA state officer. Um, and then so a year ago at this very convention, I was elected um, and then set out to serve as my year from convention to convention as a state officer. Um, and, and through that time, we've had a lot of different experiences, um, done a lot of different things, um, connecting with FFA members, with supporters of the FFA um, and doing all sorts of different activities. Here at convention, you'll deliver different uh, sessions uh, as well as a retiring address. What's your retiring address? What's your kind of final message you want to share with the members? My final address, my retiring address is called the resistance. Um, and, and the idea behind it is basically there are a lot of different things that can stand in our way. Um, but even, even when um, we know we should do something, there kind of can be a force that can um, stop us or um, hold us back a little bit. So it's kind of moving past that and um, you know pushing on and doing those things anyway. It's a good message to share. Let's back up a little bit. You're from the Boone Central FFA originally, Albion, Nebraska. Tell me about how you grew up in agriculture and originally got involved with this organization. Yeah, I grew up on a farm outside of Albion, Nebraska, just a, a smaller family farm. Um, and FFA was, was just kind of, I had an older sister that preceded me and she did, th did FFA um, and so my entire um, through elementary and through junior high I was just itching to do as much as I could in FFA um, and so I just kind of came up and eventually I was able to do some contests work in more and more different contests and got as involved as I could be um, was a chapter officer for a couple years um, and just just loved everything that FFA had to offer and uh, Boone Central had a really good um, advisor good community support so it was an awesome experience there I understand you want to go back to the family farming operation eventually. Tell me about your, your career goals. Yep, so I'm a, a freshman at UNL right now studying agronomy. Um, and when I graduate um, from college, I hope to go back home to Albion, Nebraska, outside of Albion, um, help farm with my dad, and then maybe also start an agronomic business um, in that community. 
Just from a high level, how does FFA help someone like yourself that wants to get back involved in production agriculture? Absolutely. Um, uh, bettering skills, um, the CDEs that I did, uh, ag mechanics and agronomy, those were some of my favorite that really helped me better some of those skills of identifying different plants that I will be doing in my career or um, identifying engine parts, different things like that that I did in ag mechanics um, will just help me throughout my career and start me down that path to know a little bit more when I get um, to that point. Obviously here at convention, what's your favorite part? What, what should a member try to take in uh, during these conventions? My favorite part of convention was just seeing the almost 7,000 blue jackets um, and getting to meet people from all across the state, from all different walks of life that are all here for FFA. We're all here for one reason. Um, no matter where you came from in the state, what your background looks like, we're all here in the blue jacket for FFA. That is Nebraska FFA State Vice President Dustin Andreessen joining us as we break down some of the activities at this year's Nebraska FFA State Convention. Well, I mentioned that Dustin's time as a state officer is wrapping up. The new state officer team has been selected as of Friday night. You can visit RuralRadioNetwork.com to see an interview with the next group of state officers. Shifting our focus now, Nebraska wheat production is ranked as 11th largest across the nation. As much as 50% of the wheat is annually exported to international markets. That is why earlier this year we took a trip out to Portland, Oregon in order to learn more about what happens to Nebraska wheat once it leaves the fields. While up to half of Nebraska wheat is shipped to other markets across the world, the other half is of course used domestically. It is used in places like Marcy Bakery. Market Journal's Bill Dodd has more on this story. With facilities located in Portland, Oregon and Kent, Washington, Marcy Baking is a family-owned wholesale bakery serving the Pacific Northwest. Established in 1993, Marcy Baking quickly earned a reputation for creating the most premium, high-quality desserts and breads Portland has to offer. Daniel Bess, general manager for Marcy Baking, showed our group around the Portland facility. During our time there, it was easy to see that Daniel and his team share a passion and enthusiasm for the work they do and the products they create here on a daily basis. Well, the bakery is a family-owned bakery. We've been in business for over 20 years. We are in the cake section of the bakery where we make cakes. Try to have the section far away from the oven so we don't have any heat, so we can always stay nice and cool. And that's what we do in that section is you know, mostly cake, pastries, French pastries. And as we go farther away from, you know, from here, then you have cookies, you have bread, and the oven way at the end of the building over there where we bake everything fresh every day. We make products and we are all working together. We are very happy and we care about what we do all the time. So quality product is important and also how it's made. Uh, we want to make sure that everything is done correctly. And of course, to me, hopefully everything we do here is going to end up somewhere and someone, some place somewhere, and that's going to give them a smile when they eat the product. During our time in the Pacific Northwest with the Nebraska Wheat Board, we spent a good deal of time at the Wheat Marketing Center. It was there that our group learned that the quality of wheat set for export is of great importance to our overseas buyers. That feeling is mutual for the good folks here at Marcy Baking. Just glancing around the facility, it became clear very quickly that this family-owned baking business on the West Coast was very reliant on commodities like wheat and sugar beets that are produced by hardworking farming families here in the Midwest. Everything is made fresh every day, and we send some product to some restaurants, some coffee shops, some uh, uh, hospital catering business. So pretty much you name it, we have product everywhere from here to Eugene. Yeah, I think the people like our product, they like our service as well. 
And the quality of the product is very simple. We use very basic ingredients, a lot of butter, eggs, sugar. Sugar, we use cane sugar and some beet sugars. are the two primary sugar that we use here. Mostly beet sugar, that's what we use the most. Flour and pastry flour for other cakes and cookies. Then we need to go into the bread flour. So we have several types of flour. We have whole wheat flour, white flour, rye flour. So depending on the bread we're making, we use different flour all the time. So the quality is there and people recognize that. When it comes to creating these classic culinary confections, this bakery goes through enough flour and sugar in one day to make your head spin. That's one reason Danielle is always so happy when he gets to meet agricultural producers that play an important role in his livelihood. Uh, we use on a weekly base close to eight pallets. Uh, one pallet is 2,500 pounds, so you know, we do the math, it's a lot of flour. We use about 1,000 pounds of eggs per week, 1,000 pounds of butter per week. So we use a lot of product to get fresh. Yeah, I think it's awesome to work with farmers. Uh, I'm hoping that someday I have the time to go see into the farm to see where the wheat come from actually, which would be great. Uh, like yesterday we had a tour and one of the farmers recognized that the sugar we use here, the bee sugar, that comes from their farm. They were very excited and very happy. I think it's great when we can tie together where the product comes from, what we do with it and where it's gonna end up. I think it's a great thing when we can all tie those three together. After two decades in business, Marcy Baking continues to focus on their core goals, providing the best baked goods in the Pacific Northwest with exceptional customer service. Through teamwork and steady leadership, this baking company is poised to keep turning out high-quality, value-added products from high-quality Midwest commodities for decades to come. Reporting for Market Journal, I'm Bill Dodd. Thanks to Bill for that story. If you are planning on headed out to the Portland area, here's our personal suggestion to find some of those delicious pastries. Good stuff right there. If you'd like to learn more about Marcy Baking Company, we've added an informative link along with this story. You can find that on the Market Journal website. Well, let's now turn our attention over to the grain markets. This week, we caught up with one of our regular market analysts. Darren Fessler is with Lakefront Futures and Options. We had a chance to sit down with him here at the FFA convention on Wednesday afternoon. Let's talk about these markets. Let's take the old crop first. What do you see in there, corn and soybeans? Yeah, old crop, we've had a really nice push up, uh, you know, in, into this report. And I, I think that you, given, given the push on basis in a lot of locations, given the market rally, I mean, we're up roughly 50 cents off the low. You've had really good spread action between the May and the July. It, you know, at this point, I think you need to reward it. I've, I've always been in the type that I, I never like to see big run-ups ahead of a report, I'd same thing on the, I don't like to see big down drops. It's too big a report not to, I think, reward this market at this point, given maybe some of the weaker year-over-year -year exports we've seen, even though exports have turned around here recently and a lot of good sales to China, it's, we're just continuing to play that catch up. So I'm just tell telling guys here is reward this old crop. I'm not saying we can't move higher, it's just ahead of this report, you gotta keep moving it higher and I think just reward this market and look for your ownership strategies, maybe on the July or September contracts. We'll talk report here in a moment, but anything different uh, the way you feel about uh, corn and soybeans for new crop? New crop uh, beans, I'm a little bit concerned about. The thing with the bean market though, is if we don't get these acres, then I think it's a whole nother ball game if we run into weather. Stock, tight stocks use ratio across the board. And so if we get this market back up towards that 1380 to 14, it's an absolute must area to do something, be proactive with the marketing. And same thing with December. I think we had this big push lower here. I think it was more of a wake up call for most producers than anything. I think a lot of unknowns still let to be played out here. 580 to six bucks. 
if you haven't done anything, that's an area to reward this market. Again, at least think about it. All right, challenging topic for us this week to talk about the report. You and I are recording this ahead of it. Report will come out, reports will come out on Friday. So let me ask you this, what matters? What are you gonna watch after those reports come out? You know, obviously, the, the, this is kind of like the second Super Bowl. The Super Bowl of the first year is that January 12th report. We summarized whole of last year. This is the second Super Bowl of the year that acres. We're going to get that that number. And granted, I think given the tight stocks use, yes, the acreage matter. But I think it's the, it's the quarterly grain stocks that are going to matter a little bit more here. We're looking at 15-year lows in the wheat market. We obviously know that there's a lot of dryness in Kansas in that winter wheat country. And then spring wheat, North Dakota, plenty of snow on the ground. So there's that that dynamic as well going on in the domestic wheat market. So I'm, I'm very, very interested what the USDA believes is going to come to be of that uh, of that wheat crop and in general what the acres are. Because I don't think a lot of these acres are going to get harvested. I think they're going to get abandoned. You bring up wheat. I want to talk a little about some of the news that came out this week. The Russian grain exclusion of sorts. Some grain merchandisers came out that they're going to be shutting down their grain elevators in Russia. Is that going to have an impact on the domestic wheat uh, wheat uh, prices here? Uh, you know, I think that some of this uncertainty about Russia, Ukraine, and that whole Black Sea region, I think is some of the reason why we've seen this big push up in, in some of this wheat market. But I don't think that that narrative in itself is, I don't think gonna move the needle much more. This wheat market is getting overextended uh, leading up to this week's report. Tell me more about that overextended, what you mean by that, and where you see this the, the wheat market going. Yeah, I, I, I still think wheat can move higher. I think the nearby, like the short term time frame, is probably a little bit overbought, especially the Kansas City and the spring wheat. I think Chicago more or less is just following suit. And I think if we can move higher, given the strong correlations with corn, corn is going to move higher with it. And I think well, that's what we've seen so far. Let's go back to old crop on corn and soybeans in particular as we get to one of our viewer questions this week. One of our viewers wrote in and asked, is there an argument to hang on to old crop at this point? Your two cents? Uh, beans, I've been sold out of old crop beans since Christmas. Um, I think there are some re-ownership strategies in play, but far as old crop at this point, you're really playing for the summer market here uh, on old crop corn and beans at mm -hmm. this point. And again, I think the push or the risk here on old crop corn is if you look at the May, July spread, it, May is about 20 cents over July. Do the commercials start pulling those May bids and focus on that July? We've seen that last year. I think that's a risk for this market. Another question we got, uh, interesting question. I'm curious your thoughts on this. It doesn't necessarily have to be tied to the ag side, but one of our viewers asked, what is undervalued right now? I think the, the cash market, or at least the, the board in itself, is live cattle. Uh, if you look at cash feeders, relative to IDIV, you're going to fatten them up. There's no money there in that game at the moment. I think either one of two things are going to have to happen. Cash feeders are going to move lower. I think that's highly unlikely given the fundamentals. Or feeders or, or live cattle need to move much higher to make this more profitable for producers. In general, I think the overall commodity complex as far as cattle are still fundamentally bullish. The thing that concerns me is the outside markets and the economy. I'll let you get the final word on grains here in a moment, but I'll stick on the livestock trend. What do you see in the the uh, the hogs right now? <laughs> yeah, is a tough market. It, it's 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 a very very tough market. I I think you at these levels, given beat up. I think you look for opportunities to get long this market anywhere on the June board around that $90, $89. I think that's an opportunity to get long and friendly cattle or uh, friendly hogs. All right, this broadcast will come out April 1st. A lot of, uh, I'm sure, excitement in the air as uh, planters will be rolling here 
in eastern Nebraska a couple weeks from now. What are you hearing from producers, their sentiment going into this planting season? You know, I, I think there's still a lot of optimism about what, what may transpire because you still have these good basis levels. You still have tight stocks use ratio because, again, you look at western Nebraska, they're coming off a major drought. There's a lot of optimism, I think, but guys are going to be willing to unload these bushels if you get any north of six bucks on that December corn. Let's give you the final word. What else do you want to bring up we haven't had a chance to talk about just yet? I think the most important thing is if you get rallies in this market, do not be afraid to be aggressive. If you don't have weather, I think the chart pattern suggests maybe a 2013, 2014 type move. So lower levels could come. The key thing is the weather. And again, that's why we're somewhat friendly these grains at the moment. How aggressive for new crop have you been so far? Uh, right now, on, on the hedge side of things, we're utilizing a lot of options, but we're probably 30 to 40 percent as a, as a collective group on corn and 35 percent on new crop beans. All right, Darren, we appreciate your time. Thanks Thank for joining so us much. here at the uh, State FFA Convention. You bet. Thank you. Now, coming up next week, we'll be joined by UNL's very own Elliot Dennis to discuss the cattle markets. If you have a question you'd like me to ask Elliot, be sure to email us or get in touch on social media, and I'll be sure to pass your questions along. Well, this time of year, hay and forage inventories can become quite low. Livestock producers digging through their forage piles might notice some spoilage or mold. For some cattle, such as dry cows, that might not be a big deal. But for others, like pregnant or lactating cows, it's important to make sure that forages maintain quality. You can learn more about feeding lesser quality forages in the March issue of the Nebraska Farmer. It is now time for weather with Market Journal weather analyst Bill Boyer. Well, Bill, the phrase is April showers bringing May flowers. Happen to have any rain in that forecast of yours? Well, yes, we do, Bryce. We do have some uh, April showers here in our forecast. Unfortunately, this isn't April Fool's joke either. It's going to be in the form of some snow in some areas, specifically these areas here. You look at uh, northern portions of Nebraska, we've got a good chance of some snow, heavy snow possible, much colder temperatures and a windy start to the week. That's for your back to work Monday, Tuesday. And then as we go into the next week, another round of cold temperatures look like they're gonna stick around, but it should be a bit drier the following week as we get closer to Easter. And we do need the moisture still. Areas here it remain in exceptional drought. Not a lot of change to our latest drought monitor. As you can see, we're shrinking, but uh, still quite a few areas that we're concerned about. We've got a lot to talk about in the forecast. This is that storm system that produced all the severe weather uh, yesterday in this portion. It's moved off to the east and we're left in between systems here through the weekend. Now, as we go into late Monday, you'll notice what starts to happen by Monday morning. We start to see some showers form. Watch this area of northwest Nebraska turn over to snow by Monday night into Tuesday. This is some heavy snow that's going to work its way across the area. It's going to stay rain in far eastern Nebraska and then taper off. A lot of dynamics with this storm system. We're going to have to keep a close eye on it, check back with your forecast, but I'll show you some of the potentials with that. And then some wraparound moisture, possible Thursday, bringing more snow out to the western half of the state. All said and done, it is going to be a colder week. Take a look at, uh, as we go Friday here, uh, a week from today or yesterday, we'll show you where things go. Now today, Temperatures are going to be mild across most of the state. Maybe the far northern area is the only exception. Even milder tomorrow. Definitely going to feel like spring 70s possible across portions of the state. Notice what happens Monday. That cold air starts to slide in. And by Tuesday, 
We could be setting the stage for some severe thunderstorms as well with very warm temperatures out in front of sharply colder temperatures and it'll be snow on the back side of this uh, primarily and that colder air is going to stick around clear through the week in the northwestern half of the state. So almost a tail of two different parts of the state in terms of two different seasons. Precip, look at this. Some of this uh, forecast modeling putting out maybe two to three inches of moisture in uh, western portions of Nebraska. Uh, lesser amounts, uh, but still maybe a half an inch or more in the eastern half. And we've got some very impressive snow totals coming out of this. Some of these areas could see over a foot of snow. Of course, it's that time of the year when the snow will melt uh, quickly, but we're gonna have to keep a very close eye on that, Bryce. So. Uh, April showers, yes, they bring some May flowers. Unfortunately, you don't want to plant those flowers yet as we're still talking about snow in our forecast. All right, thanks for that forecast, Bill. Finally today, the market value of agricultural land in the state of Nebraska has increased by about 14% over the prior year. That comes out to an average of $3,835 per acre, according to the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's 2023 Nebraska Farm Real Estate Market Survey. We were joined earlier this week uh, to discuss that preliminary report with Nebraska Extension Ag Systems economist, Jim Jansen. Well, let's talk about real estate values first. Big picture, what are we looking at on this year's report? Yeah, so the University of Nebraska-Lincoln annually surveys the land industry professionals that work in banking, appraisal, professional management, and related areas. With that, we annually survey the current state of land values in addition to cash rents. What our survey found in 2023, the market value of land increased by 14% to about an average overall for the entire state, including all the cropland, grazing land, hayland, to an average of uh, $3,835 an acre. It's about 14% higher than it was a year ago. If you compound the last two years of our survey, so the current report plus last year, the market value of land has actually increased somewhere around 30% across the state of Nebraska, which is a very substantial increase that would parallel what we've seen back in 2012 to 13, 14 in that time frame. Extreme drought, uh, crop yields varied quite a bit across the state, and commodity prices rose with a shortfall in production. And obviously there's some different challenges occurring right now, but nonetheless, record-setting commodity prices last time led to, led to very high farm real estate values and some of the things we're seeing currently. I want to ask you more about the factors that influenced this over the past year coming up here in a second. But first, uh, share some insight on the cash rental rates. What did you see across the state of Nebraska? Perhaps some increases there as well. Yeah, so with respect to our annual farm real estate survey and report, we survey the current state of dry land, cropland, irrigated cropland, including center pivot, as well as gravity or flood irrigated, as well as grassland on a per acre basis, cow-calf pairs. And the final report will also include a rate for stocker calves. What we've seen generally across the state, we've seen cash rental rates steady to trending slightly higher. With that being said, uh, some of the things that were being reported with that came to the effect that commodity prices, livestock prices, grain prices, major things that we raise so that we utilize the land for our state are much higher. That was one of the major driving forces on why we've seen cash rents steady to slightly higher depending on where you're at in our state. Let's talk about those factors. You're mentioning a few of them here, but big picture, what would you say the, the big factors that influenced uh, the uptick, 14% on, on real estate values? Yeah, so if you roll the clock back a year ago, at that time we were seeing farmland loans being made around four and a half, five percent 5%. We get towards the end of 2023, early on in 2020, or excuse me, later on in 22, early on in 2023, 
interest rates have definitely rose, but the farm real estate market across Nebraska, the asset market, uh, machinery, equipment, whatever the case might be, we've seen a, in a general increase in the interest rates. Uh, but uh, early on, there were very competitive terms for financing of agricultural debt. And with those competitive rates, people are very motivated to make purchases. I feel like it's often said that uh, land is a safe place to park some money. I'm sure that's uh, remained true over the past year or so. I'm curious, and perhaps the answer is no, I'll ask it anyways. Do you track the different owners over the past year at all? It's been a hot discussion in the ag industry of some of the players that are buying ag land. Is that something you're able to track in the survey at all? Yeah, so as part of our June uh, report, which includes all the preliminary estimates on land values and cash rents, we'll also have additional information on what you might call the demographics, who's buying, who's selling, what are the terms of financing, things of that nature. The majority of the land purchases made in Nebraska are still uh, active farmers, people in the surrounding area, uh, people from the state that have ties to a certain area, they make up the majority of the purchases. Uh, the type of financing, mortgages or cash sales are still the most common. It depends on the year, but uh, contract for deed is not a very common thing to be seen currently in our state. In the past, it maybe had been. And uh, still the majority of the sales are occurring. Obviously, there's been different things in the news with who's buying land, who's selling land, the things that go with it. But uh, in the state of Nebraska, it's still Nebraska residents, Nebraska operators buying the assets make up the majority of the purchases. All right, Jim, two questions left for you. The first one is, how can one of our viewers today utilize this information to benefit their farming operation? Some of your thoughts. Yeah, so what we tell people as part of our survey, use, don't use the numbers directly stated in it. Gain insight, how does land, with respect to land values, but maybe more importantly for those folks that are actual operators, how are the cash rents varying? How does your property stack up against the regional estimates? Do you have an exceptional property? Do you have a property that's maybe sandy? Uh, did you see a sizable cash rent increase in 22? Maybe you won't see quite as much in 23. It's, uh, we put this information out to provide insight on what's happening. If we didn't have this, I don't know what else we'd have that's consecutively done since 1978 across the state of Nebraska. If you're someone in the financial field, a banker, appraiser, someone like that, this is just another source of information to hopefully make good um, informed decisions as part of the lending or financial process you're involved in. There's a lot of data here in the report. I can only imagine how much time went into creating it. If someone wants to go look at all the numbers, where's the best place to do so? So the Center for Ag Profitability at the University of Nebraska link at our website is cap.unl.edu slash real estate. Another easy way to find it, if you do an online search, do a search for something like University of Nebraska Lincoln or UNL land report. They'll bring you to the farm real estate website. On there, you can find historic reports, you can find our preliminary estimates, and you'll be able to find our final report when it comes out in June. Thanks to Jim for his time this week. If you'd like to read the full report, we've added a link along with this story. You can find them both on the Market Journal website. Well, that is about all the time we have for this week's show. On a personal note, it was 10 years ago this week when I heard my name called as the 2013-2014 Nebraska FFA State Secretary. I know firsthand the impact that this convention, as well as the Nebraska FFA organization, can have on students. It also takes many hands and volunteer hours to make it all happen, so thank you to all of those that helped out this year. We hope to see you back here on Market Journal next time. Until then, I'm Bryce Duskit, wishing you a safe and productive week. Join Market Journal online at marketjournal.unl.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.
Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Partial funding is provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board. Market Journal is produced by the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources.